Hello, I'm Jane Daly and this is my podcast for people who know. As an independent thought leader, coach and work-life advocate, I'm curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Cheryl Clemens, who joins me today, started when we were introduced to each other at an event. I was totally hooked from day one. Cheryl is an inspirational thought leader and and in particular, a real tower of strength for female leaders in the L&D space. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Cheryl to the podcast today. Cheryl, welcome. Oh, thanks so much, Jane. And uh, I remember the meeting too. Um, So, uh, no, it's fantastic. Um, Yeah, really excited to be here and to enter your uh, time machine. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to do that. And we're going to we're going to talk about something that's really passionate um, to you and me as well, interestingly enough. And that's around startup, Cheryl, isn't it? That's what we're going to really focus on today, amongst other things, as we're in the time machine. Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm sure we'll cover quite a lot of ground. Um, but of course, startups are, are close to my heart at the moment, particularly. Definitely. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, let's step into this time machine. From your perspective, what does it feel like for you? It's a really interesting process. Um, so trying to kind of choose a choose a year um, was really interesting because obviously there's been kind of lots of probably kind of momentous times um, over the last however many. But I settled on one where I felt that so many different things kind of converged that set me in a particular direction. Let's set that dial back and and go to where you want to go to. And um, I totally agree with you. You know, just thinking about what is it, what are those points in the past that made a real difference and and why? And most people that have been in the time machine have said um, similar things to you about really thinking about what was going on at that time. And there's a real mixture of things coming together often. So let's find out what was going on for you. So I'm going to set the clock. And, and we're going to we're going to off we go. So we're, we're going to land um, in 1997, Cheryl, and I'm going to set the scene a little bit for what was going on in the world. And then we'll find out what was going on for you. In the UK, it was a year for a landslide general election for the Labour Party with Tony Blair um, and the new um, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. In addition to that, um, Princess Diana sadly lost her life in Paris, which was um, a momentous um, event. And Microsoft was the most valuable company in the world, valued at $261 billion, uh, a lot more, uh, it's a lot more valuable today. And just a couple of other things. Um, the first Harry Potter book uh, was launched onto the market. And um, no surprise is the song of the year was Candle in the Wind by Elton John. So Cheryl, tell us what was going on for you in 1997. Oh, thank you, Jane. And, um, you know, I vividly remember um, Labour getting into power and uh, Princess Diana. And I think that's why that year in many ways is almost so easy to kind of connect and go back to. And uh, of course, it's towards the end of Britpop and various other things. And it it was a very kind of it felt apart from obviously the Diana um, awful event. It was quite an optimistic time um, with kind of, you know, the the change in power. And it it felt like a kind of real kind of force force for youth. Um, I was 25. Um, I just started a new relationship, um, which I'm still in now. And uh, it was just a really kind of pivotal year. I had kind of lots of different plates spinning. 
um, that I think ultimately took me um, down a tech route. I'd always been a kind of big fan of sci-fi um, and uh, and how it kind of shapes our future, our past and our present. So that was that had always been kind of there ticking away. Um, but I'd completed a, a master's in cultural theory, writing uh, what was probably a very optimistic dissertation um, on how the internet was going to democratise everything at the time. And uh, yeah, on, on reflection, I was probably over beguiled and uh, was less critical um, of some of the kind of aspects of it that obviously, you know, we're kind of more familiar with now. And uh, that coincided with the start and kind of rise of the dot-com era as well, of course, um, around that time. So, um, so that was really pivotal. And I also was working for a travel company in their ski department. And um, I managed to basically kind of pivot to an IT role. So I totally persuaded them that they wanted me to take control of their IT infrastructure (laughs) and also kind of blagged a a manager title as well at the time. So that kind of set me off down that route. Um, And I, I remember kind of going out to, oh gosh, different kind of places in Europe and setting up hotel booking systems with new computers and doing servers and all sorts of things. So I was a bit of a bit of a backroom server girl as well at that point, um, all kind of self-taught. So there's a few kind of different things that were kind of happening, um, which basically took me down a kind of tech direction. Um, So it's really, really fascinating, actually, just to reflect on that, because I don't think I'd appreciated what came together to set me in that direction. It's fascinating, isn't it? I was just listening to you and thinking, wow, what an eclectic mix of stuff. But, you know, as a behavioural scientist, I'm fascinated by, you know, your thinking, your behaviours and, and, and what, what took you there. And I think for me, it was incredibly courageous to sort of, you know, go to the company you're working for and say, yeah, you know, let me go into IT. It's, it's kind of an area that we particularly see today, which, of course, has still got loads of gaps in terms of, um, you know, skills and, and getting the right people into the area. And I, I would think it's probably even harder uh, today to get people yeah. get you to do that. So, you know, all credit to you that you were able to persuade and get them to, to agree to, to let you change careers and, and do something completely different to what you were doing. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, I, as I say, that I hadn't really appreciated, I think, what I'd kind of done there. And um, I was looking at some stats actually yesterday, just out of curiosity in terms of, you know, the kind of gender split in IT. And of course, it's still, you know, it's still something like 30%, I think, of, of women in IT and tech and the sort of digital roles. And obviously, back then, um, there really weren't very many at all, but it hadn't even it hadn't occurred to me that it was a it was a kind of an, an issue really or a challenge, and maybe that helped um, because I had almost lack of awareness, you know, self awareness that I was a woman trying to do this. I, I agree with you, and I think it's interesting coaching both male and, and and females, but in particular, you often see traits where people have put their own barriers up and it tends to be women you know I hear the word imposter syndrome which uh, a lot from the female area and, and a lot of it is um, I'm not saying there isn't real stuff going on for them but often very often in fact there are barriers that have come up that are often not as deep as they think they are mm. and I as you say at that time you know you just asked the question you clearly proved um, your worth to the organization they saw opportunity and potential 
And those things are really important to drive you. Um, mm. We should definitely be, be encouraging people to break some of those myths down. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting, though. Um, I did have to fight a lot harder for the manager title. So I, I, I kind of managed to do the kind of conversion from my role into IT. But I really, really wanted because I basically had, you know, I was in charge of the kind of infrastructure. I thought it was appropriate that I had a manager title. And I was told that I couldn't have one because I didn't have anyone that I was managing directly at that point. Um, but I've managed to um, identify a couple of men um, within the organisation that also were managers, but without any direct reports. So I said, well, actually, they have. So what, what would be the rationale for me not to have it? on that basis um and they obviously couldn't really think of a good reason to say no so um they kind of yeah they handed it over but it did it's interesting that that actually was probably more of a battle than this you know the actual kind of subject and kind of impact change that's really interesting why do you think that was well I do wonder if that was more of a kind of gender thing and I was also I guess I was quite young um it was a new area um it was a role that hadn't existed previously they probably just yeah just hadn't really kind of thought about it and came with maybe some kind of preconceived ideas. What I um, really like about what you were saying there is that you were really in tune you know you went you went out there you did your own evidence gathering and you were tenacious enough not to take the first no and I think that's a really important point isn't it? Yeah. You have to do your own homework and not accept everything that is um you know given to you you know you obviously want to do it in a constructive way but you know it meant an awful lot to you and I think also letting organizations know as to why it's important to you and for me I'm assuming that that probably led into all sorts of things for you with the organization and possibly other opportunities for other people that that were there. Yeah absolutely and also really importantly I think what I then did next so it was a really, really important kind of stepping stone because it did take me in a you know totally different direction. Um, and it actually, it was really a lot of fun. And I think it, in terms of kind of uh, sort of self-learning, that's when, it, you know, I, I really did. I mean, I think I've always been in tune with that anyway. If I want to know about something, obviously, I'll find out about it. But um, I remember getting, you know, I bought Visual Basic 4 or 5 or whatever it was then and read books on how to set up servers and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, obviously got to a point where I was kind of competent enough um, before I probably realised that I would be better taking the other sort of skill set in a different direction. So I kind of did move away from kind of actually kind of developing stuff and more into um, kind of yeah management and um, yeah project management and so on after that. But um, but it was great to have had that experience and really understand, you know, kind of pre-wizard um, how a lot of the tech kind of works, especially at that time when you know the internet was just coming in as well. So it's really 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 fascinating time. Yeah, but you know, even by doing that, it, you realise well, actually, I understand it, but that's not where I want to be. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so no, it's a really, really good time. So Cheryl, just before we leave the past, mm. let's uh, let me ask you a question. So, what would you, what advice would you give to to your younger self, your nineteen ninety seven self? Wow, um, that's a that's a really difficult question. What would I tell my self then? Gosh, I wonder if I'd have given myself the advice I would give if I would have done the things 
but I did actually because I think now it'd be like you know don't put too much you know expectation there's no such word as should all of these different things whereas actually maybe if I'd I'd have accepted that advice and hadn't put some you know pressure on myself I wouldn't have done the things that I chose to do at that point so I've not thought about that explicitly um, before that question. Um, but yeah, I kind of wonder if there's a strange kind of, if you basically change, you know, change it and give yourself that advice that actually then it would, you know, alter the course. So, um, so yeah, I don't know what would have happened if I'd have given myself that advice, but I, yeah. But I, I like it. Interesting. Yeah. Like you're thinking. And to me, it's a, just go with it. It's, mm. To me, it sounded like you were really in tune with your hunger and your passion and just, you know, the need to explore. For me, I've sort of got, you know, I mean, you mentioned travel and that word explore come up for me. And I think you had a real mindset of that for me. And I think that is incredible. really. Yeah, definitely. And nurture your inner maverick, I think, yeah. would be what... <laughs> Nurture your inner ma- maverick, um, definitely. Let's get back in this time machine and I'm going to take us to 2021, the present day. Wow. Um, just, um, I, was, I was looking at some stats. I know you were looking mm. at some insight too. So we have obviously been uh, through some interesting times over the last 18 months, some very interesting times. Um, and the global pandemic is still very much part of our daily lives all over the world, wherever you are. Yeah. Um, but as according to Companies House and Financial Times, there has been a 22% increase in startups, in particular um, in the UK, in particular. And this was against predicting that that would be very different. In mm. Actually, possibly could uh, dramatically lower startups and encourage people not to work for themselves so it's a really interesting period isn't it where that's a huge it's huge yeah no I agree you can just see how many tech startups there are I think at the moment um if you kind of follow any of those you know kind of online platforms that talk about new you know new products and new new startups coming on um there's there's something for almost it feels like every kind of specialist action that you need to kind of take online um, and it's becoming more and more kind of, you know, fractured and, and specialist. But I guess on the other hand as well, there's more unicorns, of course, than ever before. And um, something that I was looking at, because obviously EdTech is completely boomed um, since the pandemic as well. And um, there's 30 EdTech unicorns um, right. as of like over the last kind of couple of weeks, I think, which is just phenomenal. Um, whereas I don't think there, I don't know the, the stats exactly, but I don't think there was one at all, you know, a few years ago. So, um, you know, the pandemic's created a yeah, huge amount of obviously shift to digital, which we all, we all talk about. A lot of it probably was going to happen anyway. Um, it's accelerated it. But I think that there is certainly a lot, lot of opportunity for, for, for people that, um, you know, want to take that risk. And it is a risk, of course, and, um, and set up their own, you know, kind of business um, around it, really. Definitely. And I, I would suggest that, you know, having, you know, started to research um, and you and I talk about a lot of this stuff anyway, when we get together, I know as often as we would like, but when we do, both of us are very much sharing you know, what we've what we've discovered. And in doing some of that, the, the changing nature of work and the changing nature of holiday patterns are driving these changes from a number of perspectives, including tech and the whole spectrum of tech, including ed tech. And what we're seeing is um, all of the big tech companies that, that most of us know the names of them are moving into 
um, the EdTech space as well as many other spaces, but they are definitely growing their presence in all sorts of spaces, including having internal startups as part of their big corporations as well, and even acquiring them, bringing in all sorts of different dynamics to their business models, to really trying to accelerate what they can do in their presence um, in, in, in the world, whether that's work or leisure, um, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. really interesting time. But tell us what you're up to at the moment. Well, yeah, off the back of um, what we're talking about, I guess, um, hybrid work is a huge topic, isn't it? And it raises all sorts of challenges as, as well as, as benefits. Um, so we're having lots of conversations with customers at the moment, um, helping them solve some of those challenges through through Storytagger and through storytelling. Is I guess as people work in different spaces, different times, different time zones, different geographies, um, work's definitely becoming kind of more and more fractured. So there's a kind of greater need to make those connections, whether they're kind of you know cognitive or emotion, to really help connect people back to you know what their organisation is trying to do what their team's purpose is all of those kind of things so yeah I think for, for us whole kind of employee storytelling piece and sharing tacit knowledge and discovering all of that is really kind of speaking to what's kind of needed now and feels quite I guess kind of zeitgeist in terms of sort of meeting that what's quite interesting actually though in terms of kind of the whole silo piece is there was some you might have seen this Jane but there was a piece on McKinsey where I think um over the pandemic, apparently a lot of individual teams are actually managing really well. So in your kind of immediate team, there is really good communication. Um, but actually beyond that, the silos have got kind of worse. Um, so I think I think one of the issues around emerging extra silos is obviously a really big issue that organisations need to kind of deal with. So that's something that, you know, we're really kind of conscious of in the conversations that we have and, and, and what we try and support as well. Because otherwise, actually, of course, you know, it'd be, it, it's always been a known problem, hasn't it? But hybrid working is going to exacerbate it kind of further. And so I think that's a really kind of big issue. And then connected to that as well is, of course, the, the good old skills piece, which um, everyone's kind of talking about at the moment in kind of corporate ed tech and corporate uh, education. Which is a which is a really big one because I guess as we're all kind of working more kind of separately, obviously not for everybody, but if you know more people working in the kind of hybrid way, we need to pull on a lot of those kind of behaviours and skills that were more predominant with maybe leaders and in leadership programmes previously. So all the kind of you know resilience and empathy and the ability to have influence, make good decisions, um, kind of independently, all of those kind of things become important skills for everyone not just the leaders in any organisation. So there's quite a few shifts kind of caused and accelerated, I think, by the pandemic, where that whole kind of storytelling and um, knowledge sharing piece is really, really important. So we're, we're, we're obviously working with that at the moment and you know, developing kind of templates and different kind of techniques um, where people can you know, really help discover those stories that are going to support you know, everyone kind of bond and, and productivity and well-being and various other kind of you know, issues that are really important. Yeah, I think, Joe, what I'm listening to you there is, is this idea of, of dining up the sort of people aspect, you know, and it sounds a bit of a cliche, really, you know, as you say, even pre-pandemic, people starting to feel less connected, 
with their organisation, um, with, you know, sometimes their local team, but in particular, possibly a wider organisation. And I think that storytelling goes back thousands of years and it's part of our, uh, you know, part of us as people. It's how we have evolved. Um, and I think what you guys are doing at Storytagger is really innovative because you're making the ability to do that really simple, really easy, really convenient for people, uh, whether that's creating the story itself or sharing that story or being able to find that story after after the event. And I think that's why, you know, I'm not surprised that you guys are going from strength to strength because people are spending more and more time in mediums like you and I are talking in but they're feeling less connected. Yeah. There are things that digital can allow us to do. I mean, thank goodness we have had virtual platforms and the ability to share videos and photos and all of those things because we would felt completely disconnected. Um, and I know that a lot of people have feel so grateful that they were mm. just to connect in, in whichever way they're able to. We know that digital poverty is real and we know digital literacy is real and we have to be aware of that but there have been some incredible innovative things that are just allowing people to do that and I think coming back to McKinsey's research I'm not surprised at all mm. it's a, you know as someone who goes in and helps organizations with some of the complex cultural issues they have you know inevitably they seem to be around not feeling connected um, not able to get the right information at the right time they don't know what's going on that then causes duplication increases in, in costs so what's going on that we've got the great resignation that we need to mm-hmm. through that where people are resigning for for many many reasons and yet there is an opportunity to have that balance of digital and yes. the people element which I know you guys work really hard to do yeah Um, No, I completely agree, Jane. And actually, I think we have to get this right now um, without kind of foreshadowing the future. We have to get that kind of human technology balance right um, as a kind of good foundation as more and more technology comes in. I think otherwise we will have some kind of serious issues um, because technology, of course, isn't, you know, kind of good or bad, is it in in itself? It's how it's applied. And um, we constantly, I think, need to have those sensible, thoughtful conversations around how we do that. And is it actually, you know, being beneficial to the organisation? Is it being beneficial to the people um, as part of it? Um, and how can we, you know, not only support the embedding piece, we've definitely come some some way in terms of knowing that um, and working towards the culture piece around the technology, but also making sure that it's it's properly kind of beneficial to, to hit all of the kind of goals that you're going for as well and isn't too kind of blinkered because otherwise you obviously get, you might get high productivity, but you'll get, really rubbish um, employee well-being or so it's actually you know some of that kind of balance that balance piece um, is something that I think we really need to pay some attention to over the next you know five ten years and it's fascinating just to throw in a little bit of research I'm doing with a huge organization I won't say who they are because that wouldn't be right but what is interesting is is particularly people that are um, from you know OD L&D in the education space What's really interesting is that they were aware of some of the well-being issues, but they wasn't doing anything about it. So as we dial up any technology, we've got to rebalance it, as you say, with the human side. And this gives us a huge opportunity to drive these things that we are best at as humans. You know, let the technology get on and do what is it does well 
but let's wet it and stress test it and make it really work for us as humans. Now, what is interesting is um, every time you go into this research, you find people have got eye problems, musculoskeletal problems, they might not be moving. And even pre-pandemic, what learning and development were doing uh, in the main, um, having, as you know, been around research space for a long time, is they're sending people off to do e-learning or whatever it's called and they tend to send people off to do it on their own rather than trying to make technology work to bring people together and I am seeing a lack of that still Cheryl so I'm not surprised again that Storytagger is you know riding on that wave because that's exactly what you guys set out to do is to bring people together inspire people share your story someone else wants to share their story so you're helping people learn from people but in a really cool way yeah absolutely and I think for for us um and you know certainly for me it's that whole kind of democratization piece as well and enabling anyone to be able to kind of discover and share their stories because we, we're doing something similar today in many ways you've asked you know you asked some really kind of you know thought-provoking questions for for me to think about in terms of you know going back in in time and looking at kind of momentous years um, without that direction and without that kind of almost like silent facilitation you don't necessarily go to the places where you're going to get the most valuable knowledge and experiences out I think you know providing that kind of scaffolding and enabling people to have the confidence to share their story with some direction is yeah is really is really really powerful and I would extend that to any kind of you know technology that kind of democratization piece is really important so if you're you know if it's helping more people access good things then obviously that's a really good thing Um, if it's starting to make people feel either unwell or isolated or anything like that then things need to change and shift to to obviously counter it um, otherwise it's kind of failing isn't it at a kind of human level it is failing and the only way to know that is to gather evidence in, in in many different sources you know we're not talking about an industry of just pulling in data but there's many different ways to do that isn't there how important is evidence to your organization Oh, really, really important. Yes. Gosh, the whole kind of the whole platform of Storytagger is is based on on research and, and some of the, you know, the work that we did previously, because we used to go out and capture employee stories with video crew years and years, you know, uh, not that long ago, actually, I'm doing myself a disservice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we set up um, Learner Lab in 2013 um, as a consultancy. And that was all very much around um, helping organisations embed uh, digital learning and technology. So it was kind of supporting with a kind of comms and culture piece. Uh, so we used to go out with a video crew um, and get different people from across the organisation and try and get as many diverse, you know, voices as possible. Um, talking about what learning might mean to them, how it helps them do their job, the impact on the organisation, all of that kind of thing. And uh, But we realised that um, it was really hard, actually, to get that kind of diversity of, of, of voice. And people really did find it very difficult in front of, you know, the camera. And But they really benefited from the interviewing experience um, because that, of course, guided them and enabled them to kind of dig deep. And we gradually um, kind of automated that from kind of interactive PDFs right the way through to a, you know, MVP um, late sort of 2018. And uh, that was all kind of founded on various bits of research. So we kind of each sort of stage of development, we'd got loads of user um, yeah, uh, input to it to make sure that we were applying the technology appropriately. And now, of course, we use yeah, lots of data in terms of 
how people are using the platform, how we can kind of constantly improve it, um, how it relates to other things going on in learning and the world. Um, so, yeah, I think all those those kind of data connections um, continue to become you know, even more important. And Cheryl, it's great to hear that evidence is a really important part of what you do. And I just want to talk a bit more about you and your leading um, story tagger in the team. And I know um, a lot about democratisation, but talk to us about what it's like to be a female CEO in the in the space you're in. I mean, obviously, you're crossing different industries here, bit of L&D, yeah. bit of ed tech, bit of, um, uh, you know, of the um, IT industry. But tell us, tell us what it feels like to be a female leader in this space. It's a funny one. I, to me, it feels it feels good. Um, I really like being a female um, leader in this space. I possibly because I'm I'm in my fiftieth year as well, so um, it's quite. It was, I did I did kind of reflect on what am I doing being a uh, you know f- female tech entrepreneur. Uh, when I'm kind of nearly 50 but um, because obviously it's been quite recent actually kind of setting up Storytagger but obviously off the back of lots of different experience and then I thought that's exactly why I should be doing it Um, so um, yeah I think um, yeah no I'm I'm, I'm proud to be doing it Um, I don't actually find it um, a, a negative thing at all now I mean there's a lot I can totally understand that for for some people it it would be a very difficult experience maybe Um, and I think um, there's lots of stats of course around the investment side so for us we've kind of grown organically up to this point and uh, we are um, just opening around as well so we are we will be going for investment and um, I know the stats around that are very very low um, in terms of uh, female-led um, startups uh, getting investments. I think it's something like two point two point four. I'm going to take a, take a gamble um, of uh, all the money basically goes to female-led startups, which is really interesting. However, and you'll probably know this, Jane, more female-led startups succeed. Absolutely, um, sure. I have no doubt that you will be changing those. <laughs> I have no doubt in you and I, I love this attitude you have and what advice would you give look not just female um because I know you know you and I are very you know clear on that it is about success for yeah. anyone who wants it who's ready for it who you know has something to offer but what advice would you give people that are really looking to grow their career and possibly think about a startup what advice would you give I would say Whilst I love whilst I love it, as you can tell, um, you also need an incredibly stoic mindset. Um, it is definitely the hard. Well, we may get a chance to come on to something else that I found particularly hard as well. But um, it's definitely one of the hardest things um, I've ever done. Um, just the pure. You have to work in so many, especially in the very early days. You're doing so many different things at once, and that kind of balancing of everything from you know, kind of finance and investment to product development to all of the different kind of aspects of the business is pretty tough. Um, there's so many different things to consider. Um, there's so many mistakes that need to be made, but to be recovered from quickly. Um, you know, I, I I definitely couldn't have done it. Um, so I was talking, wasn't I, about, um, about being kind of nearly 50 and all the rest of it. Um, if I'd have tried to do it, I, re- I think probably even 10 years ago, I don't think I'd have had the right mindset. But that's that's me as an individual. A lot of people do have that earlier. Um, but it took me a lot longer, I think, to have the kind of confidence and the ability to almost look at every kind of error 
with less of a kind of wince um, and more of a kind of learning mindset. So I think that has helped massively because actually everything that happens in those early days as a, as a startup, you are learning from absolutely everything. So every piece of um, you know feedback, every little tiny thing or piece of advice, there's always something to take and to kind of pull in to then kind of feed into the direction that you want to go. And that direction, of course, might even change as well. So I guess it's kind of having quite an open mindset as well as being pretty stoic and also being quite belligerent with it as well so it's kind of yeah there's lots of lots of things kind of being balanced at the same time um and it's definitely it's not an it's not an easy route but it's an incredibly rewarding one and it gives you an opportunity to make a very big difference in a new space absolutely and you know there is no doubt that that you 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 know yourself leading story tagger is a learning organization what i call a learning organization and what you've reminded me of there is that you don't learn if you're if you're in your comfort zone if you're in that armchair you've got to be stretched and and as you say you've got to be prepared to get up when you are punched down and be resilient and uh, tenacious and again it sounds easy to say but it isn't easy to go through it and at times you know you are right i've got I've got an hour and I've got 58 things that yeah. are, it's not, you know, it's not a nice list and I've got nobody else to pull on. Yeah. I've really got to use my judgment. And sometimes that is, is right. And sometimes you're like, I probably shouldn't have done that. I should have focused on. Yeah. And you've got to be prepared for that and, and not just once, a, a, you know, once a quarter. No, it is daily. Yeah. Isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, so yeah, you do. I think you have to be prepared to do that. Um, and also, it's okay, of course, if you have a day where you actually just want to sit and have a good old cry. You know, that's fine. But as long as you then get on with everything else you're supposed to do, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as yeah, as long as you you still you still deliver. And I, and I think that it's you should be really proud of yourself, Cheryl. I'm certainly proud of you. You know, you oh, really are. Okay. You are an inspiration, and you you know you, you you're loving this, as you say, because your mindset is aligned with what you want you know you're prepared for that and you're prepared to dig deep and and keep going and and at at the right point it just inevitably starts to come together doesn't it and yeah no it does can I just say one thing though that you said um which I remember from a couple of years ago I think it was at a women in learning event and I actually do I often say it to myself because it's really good um and I think you said something about running towards discomfort or something or um, so rather, but yeah, and I, it was a really good one because actually just as a sort of mind shift to, to run towards it, of course, will help you grow regardless of what will happen. And uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about it the other day. So um, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I think it's been quoted in other places. So yeah, well done for saying that because I, I found it really inspiring. No, but it's true. It, it, it really is true. And I, you know, and I think sometimes you do have to push yourself. And, and But to say learning does not happen in, in an armchair. And I think... Thank you for raising that, but it's definitely an important point. So let's get back in this time machine, and we're going to go somewhere really exciting now, because we I'm going to I'm going to hand over my precious time machine to you, so wow. you can go wherever you want to go. So where are we going? Backwards, forwards? Where are we going? Okay, so this is what I was afraid. So this was a really hard time for me this year, and I don't think you know this, Jane. Actually, so it might take you by surprise, but um, I'd like to go to 2016. I don't know this at all. No. So, and it's not a work event um, and it's not anything that I've I've particularly talked about on social media or anything at all, even though I probably 
should have done, not that I should use the word should, um, but it's something that totally shifted my life view and therefore my view of work. Um, And it's almost, yeah, so five years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, Cheryl, well, I think I know a little bit about this. Yeah. Um, Hearing that, and um, I'm I'm really interested in what you're going to tell us. Yeah, so... um, obviously I was you know I was fortunate as well but I had yeah I had two operations I had radiotherapy I had chemotherapy and I've just literally completed five years of tamoxifen so it kind of feels quite a milestone at the moment which is another reason I think for me wanting to kind of share because I think it took me a long time to almost process it in a way that I could talk about it a bit more kind of objectively otherwise it was just sort of happening there were a couple of kind of significant moments um which I think has have had quite a big impact in terms of how I approach work. So that's kind of why I don't think actually without that happening, which sounds extremely extreme, um, I would have possibly struggled to do some of the stuff that I'm doing now because of basically I did go through quite a kind of, you know, uh, personal transformation as well. Um, I remember reading a book on holistic health Um, which made me absolutely furious at the time. But there was some truth in it. And in summary, it was that, yeah, one of the, I think, initial kind of comments in it was, don't try to get back to normal. That's what made you ill. And uh, which is really, really harsh. Yes. Um, But if you kind of look, if I I looked through it, um, I could see some sense in it in terms of, because I, I, you know, I've always worked incredibly hard, Um, I've always put a huge amount of expectation on myself, huge amount of pressure, and I've probably beaten myself up over mistakes before and stuff like that. So that was kind of a a key one because I just thought, oh, what am I going to do to, you know, put some things in place that will actually really support me in my next phase of whatever I do? Um, So that was kind of one. And then the other one was actually in the September of 2016. It was my first kind of going back to work moment. Um, and I went to judge at the Learning Technologies Awards. Uh, so that was my, you know, I'd kind of, I don't think I'd left Brighton for six months um, and uh, went up to London. And I always remember going up an escalator for some reason <laughs> and everyone just sort of being around. Um, and I, I had a bald head and a beanie, I think. Um, but I bumped into another judge in the corridor who'd also had breast cancer um, in the past. And um, she said that you might not feel this yet, but consider it one of the best things. You know, she considered it one of the best things that had happened to her, which sounded really kind of strange. And obviously she'd been very fortunate as well. I know that's not the case, you know, for everyone. And I, I totally understand that. And that one comment, even though she probably thought I did, wouldn't think about it for another few years, actually had a huge impact on me right there and then. And, um, and I basically just sort of changed the way I approached um, kind of work and life. So I kind of immediately, um, I meditate every morning. I made sure I always had time to kind of go out for runs and stuff, which I sometimes used to just bat away. Oh, I haven't got time to do that. So basically all those little things that only take, you know, a small amount of time that I just always thought I, I don't have time for, I now make time for. And I do try and be much more kind of mindful and, you know, in the moment. Um, and the next year we started developing Storytagger. It's so interesting, Cheryl. It's so interesting what you're saying. I'm, I'm inspired by what you're saying, but I think it's amazing what you see and what you hear when you slow down and you are, as in your words, in the moment. 
we're so much passengers often in this in this world aren't we and I think from, from a learning perspective um, and all the things we've spoken about um, a lot of what we need is 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 already around us yes yeah seeing or hearing it or understand it's here it's incredibly inspirational thank you so much for sharing um, and that that period in your time was um, a point of transformation that allowed you to get to where you are today but that you're making time to do the things that you need to do to make you the best person you can be yeah and um I think yeah I'm not I, I actually now because I, I it took me I think five years probably to be able to really think about that time because obviously so much was going alongside you know with obviously kind of family and we were I was still I was still working so I did work through it as well but it was um, that was more of kind of consultancy and at a you know step step away and um, I didn't think afterwards I would you know kind of go to Dorset and start making flapjacks um, um, and uh, but I perhaps didn't expect to straight away go into uh, a, a tech startup but um, it was definitely it was the right thing to do and I think um, just having an appreciation I guess of a perhaps a slightly kind of wider view of life and the importance of kind of other aspects of it and kind of you know the importance of individual kind of recognition and kind of you know well-being and, and being in that kind of good place to be able to do the best and to be able to share that best is really kind of important um, but I think the other thing as well is the whole kind of reflection piece enabling us I think to also have a better long-term view and this is a real bugbear of mine and always it always has been in terms of everything being so short term because um, obviously you can't make obviously climate change is a perfect example but you can't have long lasting kind of change and get where we want to go if we're constantly just trying to just solve the problem for tomorrow alone and actually if we do reflect and take some stuff from kind of from from history as well then we are more likely, of course, to be able to make an impact and, and look kind of further ahead, I think, for the future. So it, it, that's a kind of a, a bit of a mind shift as well, just having a kind of a looking over a longer period of time, um, whether it's back, forward, you know, in the moment, it's it's really, really important. And for, for far more kind of serious reasons, probably, than we're necessarily covering today. But, you know, in terms of obviously the world um, and uh, and what we need to do over the next 10 years to make sure that it is, you know, it is a good one and a sustainable one. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, the reason the time machine exists, you know, I'm just a great believer in, in you know, obviously re reflecting whether that's on a second ago or, or further back. But on that note, I'm going to be uh, really naughty and take you to 2030. So oh my goodness your hopes and dreams Cheryl for you and and story tagger and your you know anything you want that comes out let's just see I'm going to take you there and just see I want to end on a high and see where, where what your thoughts are what's amazing um so wow so that's nine years time isn't it I would what would I like to be doing and what do I see for story tagger I'd love story tagger to be absolutely kind of blooming I imagine by that time, my role might have changed uh, within it. And uh, whatever's happening, I would also like to go back to school, I think, Jane. So I, I would I would love to do a PhD. So at some point, um, 
in you know many years time um, whether that's kind of alongside a role with Storytagger or purely on its own I would absolutely love to do a PhD which is looking around kind of technology and ethics um, and how um, we can continue to use kind of technology you know for good and some of the kind of you know the challenges around it because obviously we're coming into eras of not just fake news but deep fakes and all sorts of things which once again aren't purely good or purely bad um, but it's how you know we can use them you know to democratize to to make society better to do better work all of those those wonderful things so I think whatever happens I definitely want to stay and continue in that field whatever guys basically and um, hopefully that by that point, I'm just thinking, gosh, my, my kids will be 25. <laughs> so that's the that's the age, of course, that we started with. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see what they're doing um, in their lives. And uh, yeah, what, 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 whatever's happening. Fascinating. Cheryl, you are a total inspiration. And thank you so much for sharing your personal stories, your personal view of what you're doing and this in- incredible work that you're doing, leading uh, this movement you're you're leading in with Storytagger and also just inspiring people like myself and others within many industries. Thank you so much for your time. How was it for you, Cheryl? Was it okay? Oh, no, that was great. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jane. It was been brilliant talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to my podcast today. There's lots more podcasts, resources, articles and experts to inspire you on the People Who Know website. Go to the website today sign up and join the conversation.